Uh, welcome to Element. If you are newer, uh, welcome to you. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. It is Christmas time, so we'll give you a Bible. Merry Christmas. Again, don't get it wet when it rains, because they just kind of, they're not that expensive, so they kind of go with water, if you, so don't get them wet. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can, if you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes to go a little bit deeper, as well as some questions to ask to go a little bit deeper, which will be really fun this week. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion, and click on Live and Uversion, and then Events, and you will get the sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for reading of God's Word? Today is going to be very interesting to see how you all take this. This is Romans 13, verse 1, and it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you teach us what it means to be people who understand and live in the grace and the goodness of your gospel, that we would live in this world with its sinful men and women as they are, finding ways to honor you and lift you up in the lives around us, that we would submit in the ways we need to, and we would honor you by all that we do. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series called What in the World? This is week seven. What in the World is all about the verses in the Bible that I read, and I still go, what in the world, or why is that there, or why is... This being said, it's kind of a topical series, but even topical for us. We go through verse by verse throughout things. Maybe it's just because I'm not that creative and I know no other way to do this, so that's what you get. Uh, You can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, but also next summer in this What in the World series, we're going to go and answer some of your questions. And if you have a What in the World question, there are three by five cards on all the communion tables throughout the room. You can write your question on that. On the back of your sermon notes, there's a little QR code right there. You can scan it with your smartphone and write a question. I've gotten a lot of good questions from you guys. We might end up doing What in the World for almost 16 weeks the second time. It's only 10 the first time because you guys have a lot of questions. Uh, that's okay. Apparently, you're all confused about a whole lot of stuff. So uh, today is something I hope you're going to be interested in. I hope, I hope, uh, because we're kind of coming into Christmas, but we have this election that will just not let us go. It's just hanging on and hanging on. And, and I think understanding when we talk about the government and submission and what that means and how the Bible talks about it, you also have to understand that Jesus' family was in the middle of uh, Rome and all the stuff that was going with them. They were subject to Rome's whims. It's part of the Christmas story. And there's lots of things the government says to do or mandates they put out that followers of Jesus are not biblical. So today is going to kind of be very practical. I also want you to understand that I wrote this message like a year ago. So it was, I didn't know who was going to be the nominees. I didn't know who was going to be the president. So if you think this is about somebody or something, it's not. It's just what I'm taking out of the scriptures. And if you see somebody walking in the middle of it, kind of explaining to them what we're doing, so they're not like, this is just the weirdest thing I have ever been to and a part of. So kind of let people know that. Now, again, today's going to be very practical. Stephen Skoll said this, Imagine you're a Christian farmer living peacefully in colonial America when word comes that a bunch of politicians in Philadelphia have declared independence from Great Britain. What do you do? What do you do in the midst of that? Because Paul says in Romans 13.1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So which governing authorities are you subject to? The ones in England or the ones in America now? What side do you take? What if General Washington comes and he conscripts you into his revolutionary army? 
We're on the back side of it, so I think it's easy for us to say a lot of things. But in the middle of it, what would we do? Cole also asked this. He says, imagine you're living in Germany in the 1930s when Adolf Hitler came to power. You watch with growing horror as he begins systematically exterminating the Jews. And so some of these people, they may have been your friends or they may have been your neighbors, and you hear they're now going to death camps, what do you do? Do you submit to the governing authorities or do you do something different? What about when you hear about a plot by some Christians involving a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who have a plot to assassinate Hitler? And what if they invite you into their conspiracy? Like if Hitler could be killed, it would save millions of people's lives. But what do you do? Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So what do you do in the midst of these things? Like what in the world is going on here? So as you can imagine, today might just be a little bit controversial. I even mentioned at the end of last service that next week we get something else controversial. It's either next week or the week after that. But we're going to talk about Ephesians 5 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. See, we're just like doing them all, right? And apparently somebody already asked my email address to complain about next week's message. (laughs) You haven't even heard what I said yet. How dare you quote the Bible? Uh, This this is not going to be the podcast, just in case. So anyway, (laughs) but it's like, guys, wait to hear what I have to say before you freak out. Then you can freak out, but just because I'll probably freak you all out, but, but whatever. So. Uh, I, I one day, I might even could get hauled off for jail for this message because it's going to be online for everybody to hear and it might be used as evidence against me. But do you ever see some things the government does and you're like, what am I supposed to do about that? As a follower of Jesus, what, what do I do in the midst of this? Maybe you have governments like North Korea who systematically lies and kills its own people. Maybe it's certain Islamic governments. Like I read a book by a guy who used to work for the Republican Guard in Iran. And he said that the people who work for the Republican Guard would rape women and call it a service to God. What do you do? What do you do in the midst of that? Or even things like in our country where the government passes laws in our country and yet they, do, they exempt themselves from those laws, like Obamacare. Obamacare is for everybody, but the government exempts themselves from it. It's so wonderful. Why would you exempt yourself if it's, if it's so great? In California, they pass a whole lot of these gun laws, and yet the legislature exempts themselves from those same gun laws. What do you do? You read Paul's words, Romans 13.1, and I think, what in the world am I supposed to do? So before you get ready to freak out and all this, this message in the end is ultimately about Jesus, because my job is not to preach politics. My job is to preach Jesus. And Paul is going to be speaking about certain ways that we honor Jesus in the world in which we live, a world that is run by sinful, messed up men and women. So a good place to start then is with Jesus, his birth story, as it is Christmas time in here. I've told you before, Jesus was born during very difficult economic times. And Luke chapter 2 starts like this, in those days, decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, most people love those verses because that's how you start the Christmas story. This is the precursor to wise man and baby and manger and gifts, and it's so wonderful. But it's actually a really sad verse because it's telling you that the first Christmas was not a Merry Christmas. In the first Christmas, there's no eggnog and no mistletoe and no Christmas carols and no presents under the tree and no sleigh rides and no big man in red suits to sit on their lap and tell them all the things that you want and no cookies. 
It's a really bad Christmas when there's no cookies at Christmas. And yet this is what happens when the government controls everything. Rome rules the known world. Theodorus Seleucius wrote, they made the boundaries of the empire the boundaries of the earth. Well, how does Rome do that? Through war and the sword. Caesar had a giant army, and they would come into your village when they conquered, and they would say, say Caesar is Lord. And if you said Caesar is Lord, you would get temples built in his name. But if you didn't, you'd get killed or sold into slavery. And so what do you say? Well, the government told me to worship Caesar as Lord. Okay. No, that's not what you do when the government tells you to do something against the Bible. We'll talk about that in, in just a moment. But how does Caesar pay his army? Well, with taxes, with your money. Some scholars believe that Jews in Jesus' day were paying 80 to 90% of their income in taxes. As a Jew, you would have your land that was in your family. And God had everybody get a piece of land so you could work it, so you could take care of it, so you could take care of your family. But you get to a point where you can't pay for it anymore. So what do you do? Well, you have to sell it. Sometimes you sell it to the government. Then they give it to their buddies or they put a lizard on it. You can't do anything on it at all when that happens. And you got to go out and learn a skill. So you have to go out and get work so you can feed your family. Luke 2. In those days, decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea. So this means that Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, was working as a carpenter in Nazareth. In Nazareth. He is one of these displaced people. So when the census takes place, he has to go to the land of his fathers. He's got to go to Bethlehem. That's where he's got to go. Jesus was birthed in difficult economic times because the governing authorities were corrupt. Do you see why Hebrews 4.15 teaches that Jesus was tempted in every single way as we are, yet he was without sin? What do we do in the midst of our dilemmas about following God or following the government? That is something that Jesus also had to deal with. And again, I wrote this like a year ago, but I actually wrote this. What trumps what? (laughs) Who knew? I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I believe that at some point in our lifetime, and I hope it's not true and I pray that it's not true, but I think there might come a division between what we must do as followers of Jesus and as citizens of our country. As we keep talking about this in this series, context matters to what's being said. The Bible is not like Reader's Digest. It's not where you take little bits and pieces. I, I know in our culture we sell Jesus junk that people slap verses on them out of context all the time, but that's not how you're supposed to read the Bible. But you have to understand, in the Scriptures, it's all meant to go together. When Paul writes Romans, it's a letter. Paul doesn't sit down and go, Romans 13.1, let everyone blah, blah, blah. That's not what he does. It's a letter. So you've got to know what comes before it and what comes after it. The verse, the verse numbers that we have in our Bible come, came about in the 15th century out of France so that people can find things when I say open here. But you got to understand, it's a letter, so it all goes together. So what is Paul saying before and after Romans 13.1? How does this all go together? Well, Paul in Romans 12 is talking about what to do when evil is committed against us. That's what he's talking about. What do we do? So Romans 12, starting verse 14, Paul says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil 
evil, but overcome evil with good. So this is kind of like the background of this is in context, how we're supposed to function in the world, how to live to reveal who God is. This is before you get to Romans 13. And then you step into Romans 13. I think there's four things that we can learn out of it. This isn't like a four-point sermon. I just got four things I pulled out of here. And the first one is this. There's a difference between roles and people. Roles versus people. Romans 13 is referring to roles and not people. Paul is giving general principles, not about specific rulers. He's given methods on, or giving principles on how to honor those in authority over us. Romans 13 verses 1 and 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, in this, you can not confuse principles and methods. The Bible, again, is giving principles. Paul is giving principles, which is be subject to the governing authorities, but the methods can vary. Let me give you an example of how this works. Uh, take uh, where the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, everybody heard that? All right, even people who have never read the Bible, they've heard that before. So that's the principle, but the method on how you live that out can be varied because a lot of that's going to depend upon your neighbor. And what your neighbor is doing. Like maybe your neighbor has lost their job due to downsizing. How do you love your neighbor? You can invite them over for meals. You can bring them groceries. You can help take care of their family. Or maybe your neighbor lost their job because they're lazy and they can't get out of bed. The most loving thing you might do for them is not bring them groceries. Because the book of Proverbs says when people get hungry enough, they'll go to work. Not a joke. Serious. Okay. Maybe your neighbor's having a hard time raising their kids. What can you do? You can love them by stepping in, inviting them over, watching their kids for them, mixing your family with theirs. Or maybe your neighbor has a hard time raising their kids because they're never around or they smoke dope all the time or they're never, you know, they're abusing their kids. Maybe the most loving thing you can do for that family and those kids, those neighbors, is called child protective services. It all depends. The methods can be varied. In Romans 13, we do not subject ourselves to specific people. We do not pay taxes to specific people. We submit to the office. When a new person is in office, you will know allegiance to the old one. You don't have to be like, Obama's going out of office, so I've got to make sure I'm going to pay my taxes to him the rest of my life. No, he's out of the office. He's no longer over you. Paul writes about authorities, roles versus specific people, and we're talking about roles. Every time a president leaves office, somebody's upset because somebody won the election that somebody didn't want to win, and people get all irritated. What do you do? You still show respect to the office, to the office. Uh, and, and my understanding is that you show respect because of the office, but honor, honor itself in this sense is due to those who deserve it because they are honorable. They have integrity and morals, and, and you know what they're going to do is what they say. So you have a difference between those two. Honor is due, people who are honorable, but you respect the office. Second thing is that subject to does not always mean obey. Subject to and obey are two different things. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, first off... Again, Paul here is talking about principles again, and he's saying we should be subject to our government not just because you fear 
punishment, but also because you love God, and God knows our hearts. And so what this becomes is outward-focused. We're meant to be a people who live in God's world and God's way so everyone would know who He is. It goes to our hearts and our souls. I was talking to somebody last week, and they were complaining about Donald Trump, and I said, do you pray for him to become the president you hope he would be? Well, no, why would I do that? I hate Donald Trump. And I'm like, that's why you pray for him. If, if it's so awful to you, then pray he would become the president you hope he should be. And if Hillary got in, I would say the exact same thing. You pray that she'd become the president you hope that she would be. That's what we do as God's representatives in the world. We want the gospel to go out first and foremost. And so what we do is we live in more than just outward compliance. We live in a way that our heart and our souls are engaged in certain things. Like, how about this? Filling out your taxes. Do you fill out your taxes in such a way that you're honest and don't fear an audit? And if they did audit you, you're like, well, whatever. I got them all down anyway. I'm good. Nothing to hide. Is your conscience clear before God? Well, what about when you have these really evil rulers? Well, well, okay. John Calvin in his commentary about these verses say that throughout the scriptures, he says, God uses wicked rulers as his scourge to punish the sins of the people. And he goes on to say, including his own people. This means many times God sends wicked rulers into people's lives to wake them up. To wake them up. And I figure whoever got in office this time, that's the same thing. <laughs> Either one's got to wake us up, up somehow. God will send the Assyrians, he sends the Babylonians to his people to wake them up. And part of this, I think, is that we get the rulers that we deserve. And so next time you want to complain about the government, there you go. We get the ones that we deserve. When government functions as it's supposed to, they should protect law-abiding citizens. They're supposed to punish lawbreakers. But I know that's not always the case as the government becomes more corrupt. But I think our question starts in a place where we have to ask what kind of citizens we are. Are we praying? Are we bringing the gospel? Are we living in love? I love how Bob Deffendahl talks about this. He talks about how he used to work inside of a prison. And he said there are two governments inside of a prison. There's the prisoner's government with their laws and chain of command and authority structure. And then there is the prison's government with their chain of command and authority structure. And he says in the prison, the prisoner's obedience in there, inside the walls was compliance. It was not cooperation. It's like, I'll do as much as I have to, but we have our own government and we do these things over here. So he talks about after he left working in the prison, he went to work in corporate America. And he says he sees the exact same thing. There are two authorities, one official, one unofficial. And employees would follow official policies, but if you really wanted to get things done quickly, you would do the unofficial system. Again, compliance, but no cooperation. And so he points out how Christians are exactly the same as non-Christians in this with our attitudes towards authority, because we're Americans. We don't like authority. Where compliance is given, but cooperation is not. Now, he likens this, and he points out uh, radar detectors in people's cars. And I'm thinking, was he looking in mine? Hey, the Bible doesn't say no radar detector. There's no laws against it. Come on now, all right? It's a matter of conscience, people. So he t- this is what he says. He goes, Christians comply with the law. We slow down as we pass the police car with its radar speed detection equipment. We drive carefully and lawfully when the patrol car is following us. But as soon as we are sure it's safe, we drive normally. <laughs> normally equates to illegally, right? Illegally. Yeah. We, we comply, but we don't cooperate. What Paul says is that when there are laws that don't violate God's laws, you cooperate. That's how we're meant to live. He's clear, again, that it doesn't violate conscience and what God's calling you to, which leads to my number three is sometimes disobedience, and I would say civil disobedience, is the only biblical response. Verse five, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of 
conscience. Again, Paul is giving general principles, not addressing all the confusing matters that can arise. Like if there's a civil war, you have two governing authorities. What side do you land on? Or some places where the government is so corrupt that they terrorize good people and they support criminals. So let me just talk about an an easy one. What about when the government commands us to do something that is disobedient to God's word? What do we do? We always follow God's word. I know that was a tough one, but okay. We, we always follow God's word. We resist the government. We obey God, always. I'll give you some examples. Now, Daniel chapter 3, everyone is commanded by the king to bow down to this statue and worship this statue. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they say, we are not bowing down. They refuse. They go against the government. And what does God do? God commends them for it. In Daniel chapter 6, the king makes a law that no one can pray to anybody but the king. I don't know how he knows if that's working or not, whatever. But, you know, but Daniel still prays to God, and he gets thrown into a lion's den because he went against the government. What does God do? God commends him for it. Jesus stands trial in front of the religious leaders and other leaders, and they ask him questions, and he refuses to answer, which was disobedient. You look in Acts chapter 4, the Jewish ruling body tell Peter and John, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, 29, same thing, they say it again. And what's Peter and John's response? We must obey God rather than men. That's their response. In Acts 16, you see Paul kind of gets both sides of this. He is unjustly beaten. He is imprisoned without a trial as a Roman citizen. You couldn't do that. And when the authorities realize their error, they want to cover it up quietly. And Paul's like, no way! No, I'm not letting you get rid of this. And he goes and he uses law as it was intended. If the government said to stop reading your Bible, what should you do? Read your Bible. Yeah, yeah, read it anyway. Don't wait for the government to say no to start reading it. You should read it now. And you're guys like, oh yeah, if they tell me no, I'd, I'd so do it because they told me no. Yeah, start it now. That would really help, okay? Then you might not get so offended when I say things that are in the Bible. Okay, uh, If the government is like China and they came along and said you need to abort babies to maintain population control, we should resist. We should resist. If the government outlaws Christian churches and says you can't gather together, what should we do? We should gather in one another's homes and worship God corporately together. So what do you do about something like the American Revolution? Again, we live on the backside of this. We have all these freedoms that come from it. But was it right to rebel against England? And there are some very smart Christians who argue and debate on both sides of this issue. Sam Storms writes this. He says, Armed revolution is justified only if the state has become totally opposed to the purpose for which God ordained it, and if there is no other recourse available to prevent massive evil. But that is a judgment call. That's a judgment call. What is the mass of evil? How big does it have to get? Wayne Grudem, who I love in his book, wrote Politics According to, Politics According to the Bible, says the American Revolution was justified because, he says, revolution on the principle that it is morally right for a lower government official to protect the citizens in his care from a higher official who is committing crimes against these citizens. And that's what he says what happened in the American Revolution. You had people in England, they were committing crimes against people in the Americas, and the lower government officials, the ones here, stood up against them and said, this is not right. And that's how the revolution began and took place. And don't think that I'm saying go home and get your guns and ammo and start a revolt. You know, Because some of you are like, done, let's go. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I don't care which way the election turns out and apparently they got recounts and which way it turns out the other way now. But there are certain times, certain measures need to be taken to protect those who cannot protect themselves. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. Okay, I am pro-life. I believe that that... 
Personhood begins at conception because there is no other place it can begin. I believe we protect the unborn. I believe we protect, protect the elderly. I believe we protect all life because all life is sacred to God. I believe that. But that doesn't mean that I advocate somebody going out and killing abortion doctors. I don't advocate that at all. But on the other side, I completely understand Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his involvement with the plot to get rid of Hitler. I understand that. Again, submit does not always mean obey. As Christians, we should be willing to obey civil authority. But if the government commands a sin, we have the obligation to disobey government and obey God. Romans 12.2, before Romans 13, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our job is not to overthrow the government. Our job is to love and bring the gospel into it by affecting things around us because we ourselves have been changed. Stephen Cole actually points out that when Paul wrote Romans 13, he was planning to visit Jerusalem, where they had these huge political tensions. One of them is the Jewish zealots were always going in trying to kill Romans and you know, stir things up. Jews actually had been involved in so many disturbances that Acts 18.2 tells you the Emperor Claudius is booting every Jew out of Rome. Kind of sounds a little bit familiar today. Paul knows that his advice, when he says these things, are not automatically going to be accepted, so he supports it with theological principles. The authorities that exist have been established by God. But if Caesar comes in, and Caesar says, worship me as Lord and God, Christians should refuse, even at the risk of their own lives. There's a big difference between refusing to obey one law and a rebellion that says we want to kill that guy altogether. You must understand, civil government is temporary. God's rule is eternal. I hope this all makes sense, because I'm getting to the next one, which I'm going to preface with, do not shoot the messenger. Okay? Because Paul puts it here. Number four, we should pay our taxes. You should pay your taxes. Verse six. Paul says, for because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. And then he says this, respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Again, don't shoot the messenger, but I would also tell you in this, take every deduction you can. Every single one. They're there for a reason. Take them. People say, oh, the rich have so many loopholes. No, they're called tax deductions, and they're in the tax code. Take it. The government does not know how to spend your money. The government doesn't have any money of their own. They only have yours, so keep as much as you can. But having said that, pay your taxes. Okay? Historically speaking, Nero changed the tax system in 58 AD because of widespread corruption and greed of tax collectors. The way tax collectors would make extra money is they would overcharge you and they would pocket the rest. Paul is probably writing these words before the revolt, before things happen, when everything is getting really bad. And why Paul says this is he doesn't want anything to stop the forward progress of the good news of Jesus. And if there is a revolt, he's not going to be able to go places, and you're not going to be able to go places that are going to be able to take the gospel into these other places. So Paul says, pay to all what is owed to them, but then he does say, respect him, respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Romans 12, 17 and 18, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's how the scriptures take place in context. 
in context together. The basic Christian ethic is not to go out and riot and fight and burn things. and over, it's, it's to do good to others. It is to preach the gospel. It is to love Jesus above all things. And I said this a second ago, but you look how Paul balances this in his life in Acts. Paul is on trial for his life in Judea. He is respectful, but he does not passively submit to what the rulers wanted. He uses his rights as a Roman citizen to stop a flogging, to stop himself from being jumped and killed by some people on the way back to Jerusalem. The government gave citizens in Rome the right to appeal because they knew not every government official was going to make the right decisions. You, in America, also get the right to appeal. Paul uses this right. He is not submissive to a specific person in front of him, but he's submissive to the governmental, governmental system as a whole. And I know it assumes the government is going to follow the laws they've set up, and as we know all too well today, that doesn't always take place. But instead of being a people who complain, hashtag not my president, we should use our rights as citizens to request change government policy. That means you go and you vote. If you didn't vote and you want to complain about this election, you don't get to complain. You know, you've got to go and you've got to vote. We've got to stop being lazy. But we must always remember that in the end, we do all we do for the sake of the gospel. That's why we're here. Our first priority is not who becomes president. It's not politics. Our first priority is Jesus. Period. Period. Our citizenship is in his kingdom. And in a sense, we are simply guests here. Paul brings this whole section about government and obedience and laws together by refocusing Romans 13.8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The basic Christian ethic is love. It is love. That's an eternal obligation. So let me just give you a couple things real quick about how to use civil authority correctly. If someone is physically or sexually abusing you, Call the police. You should report to the proper authorities. If it's a spouse, you still call the police. If it's a church member, let the elders know, let the church know, and we will implement church discipline, and we will probably call the police. <laughs> you know, uh, if you're being defrauded by a church member, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says you're supposed to try and deal with that outside the courts, but if you can't, you take them to court eventually. The purpose of government was to protect law-abiding citizens and punish evildoers. And I know sometimes, in the case of their own, they punish those trying to enforce the law and they protect evildoers. But in those times, when the government becomes tyrannical, we must be very careful, very careful, to first understand the greater law of love before we do something crazy. And I am not telling you I'm wholly above not doing something crazy, because... I can be kind of crazy at times. But we must understand Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what we do in the midst of the government in which we have right now. And I'm trying to think of a way to bring this together for you, because how do you do it? I think if you're in a gospel community, your notes nights are going to be really fun this week. <laughs> I wish I could be a fly on the wall in some of your juicy stuff. Anyway, this is what I think we, we end up at. We must always speak the gospel. Always. We must understand that in any court of law, we would all be guilty of sin against God. Too often, we think we are the good people. We, if people just agreed with us, everything would be great. And those other people, those are the losers and the lost. No, we are the lost. We are the broken. Our rebellion against God places us in a position that cannot and could not be defended. And yet God, in his goodness and grace, comes to us and for us by sending Jesus to pay for all the penalties that we have incurred. Jesus gives his life. Jesus fulfills God's laws. Jesus brings us back into right relationship with him in love. This is what God does. 
And when our anger burns against the government, we must remember that they need Jesus just as much as we need Jesus. They need Jesus. And at the end of a rebellion, usually the people who need, who need Jesus the most end up dead. So how about we be a people who first are about bringing life and hope and goodness, that the first thing we do is speak of the gospel in all things. And guys, I know, sometimes that's really, really hard because we get so caught up in so many things that what we want to do is first and foremost make sure our rights get put out there first. But what the scriptures teach us is that we are first about being obedient to God and His call in our lives. It's not about our rights, it's about God's goodness and the goodness that He wants us to share with those around us. And I'm not saying there are not times when I stand up and defend people around us. I'm not saying that at all. If you know me, you know that's the 180 from who I really am. But I will tell you this. I think that we must be a people who understand the priority of first speaking of Jesus and the gospel no matter what conflict we come into. This is a very tumultuous time in our, in our country right now. And as God's people, we must be the ones who submit to our governmental authorities when it's not something evil. And many times, the things that we don't want to submit to are not something evil, it's just something we don't like. So we must understand how do we live the gospel out in our lives in the midst of the country in which we are today. And I think a good place that reminds us of this is communion. That's why you go to communion every week. You break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because we are a people who had ran so far off thinking we knew how everything was supposed to work. And we destroyed our lives in the process. And yet Jesus comes and he pays for what separates us from God and each other. And this is what we remember at communion. And if you had made politics your God, then I would encourage you today to lay that down at the foot of the cross in repentance, take communion, and get up and put the gospel first in your life. Living and telling of the good news of what Jesus has done. I don't know if the, is the band in here right now? There's Sean. Okay, so I got Sean. And, okay, so Sean, are you going to get him? I had this problem last service too. I don't know if they're just like hanging out, not listening to me at all, but I don't know. I said it last minute, they were walking up. Oh, I already said it. <laughs> he's, Jason's so jolly though. He's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> ah! Giant behind me. So anyway, as I was saying, uh, next week gets even better when we talk about Roman, or, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and a wife submit to your husband, so we're just going to keep going at it. But you don't know what I'm saying yet, so don't get all offended. After I say it, you can get totally offended, but <laughs> wait till I say it first. Uh, guys, uh, if you need prayer, there'll be deacons in the back, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you. If you, maybe in your life, have put politics above Jesus. They would love to pray with you about that. If you want to understand hey, maybe how to begin to have conversations with people in your life who just drive you crazy because they see everything the opposite of you do and you don't know how, let them pray with you and begin to refocus you on the gospel. There's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back and we give because God gave so much to us giving as part of our worship. Uh, we do not pass the plates response to what he's done. There's some food in the back. Grab something to eat. And if you're not in a gospel community, maybe connect with somebody, maybe even in your own family, and start to ask some of the questions in the sermon notes. Again, you'll have a whole lot of fun <laughs> with it. And if you are in a gospel community, hopefully you'll have somebody in your GC that disagrees with you. And so you can learn how to put the gospel above your politics, the gospel above your government, the gospel above everything.
So understand that the love and the grace that Jesus calls us into is more important than anything else. It is the only way that our nation is going to be healed is when God's people begin to actually live and act and respond like God's people. So let's uh, begin to do that. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to be those who understand your call in our lives. That the places in our lives that we need to repent of because we placed ourselves or our politics ahead of you has gotten things out of whack for us. So teach us to place you first in all things. That we repent of how we have placed things above you. We repent of our idolatry. We ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to understand the great grace that you have bestowed upon us in love. And that we begin to live that out. The understanding of your goodness to us. And that the world would know who you are because of how we live in it. I mean, you called us not to leave it, to be, but to be involved in the cultures around us. So teach us how to live in the midst of our cultures in ways that put you first, that honor you above all things. And in times and places where we get off track, I ask that you would lovingly remind us who you are and you would bring us back to the place where we begin to put the gospel as central to all things. God, thanks for saving us. As bad as we were, as self-centered and self-focused as we were, And even as we still are, you still lovingly bring us back. You redeem us and call us home. So today, today, have us be those who live in a way that our entire world knows who you are because our lives are bowed down to you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.